the uh, time for the show is now, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Uh, my name is Ed Wolf, and you can reach me at vapingindustry at gmail.com. Vapingindustry at gmail.com. And the phone lines are wide open for your uh, call-in uh, purposes. All right, so uh, last show was the show that I did, and uh, I think that there's not too much that I think I need to say to that. Um uh, People can listen to that show. Uh, I think I tried to give some explanation of, you know, what I've been saying and and what I'm trying to do and uh, different various factors that have been inhibitors to uh, to myself. I, I think that the, the last show stands for itself. And uh, going forward, um, after you know, I I, I considered uh, what I want to do with this show. And I'm still not sure. Um, For a period of time, I thought about just canceling it. Um, And I don't think I'm going to do that. But I have to figure out uh, a better regimen of content that I want to put out each week. Um, And so uh, I'm going to be uh, hunting and pecking for that uh, over the next few weeks. But uh, so this show... um, it's it's the original design of it was to be somewhat of a of a news thing calling that's one of the reasons why I called it the vape week because I wanted to uh talk about the various things that go on in the vaping industry so let's go ahead and do that so I'll try and sort of be newsish so a couple different things Pamela Gorman has now uh taken over the spot uh for a period of time for about the last 3 months there's been no person that's been paid to be doing any of the business of Safada. There's been no person doing the work. Um, and so now they've hired in Pamela Gorman. And uh, she gave a, a brief little uh, announcement thing there. And I think what I'll do is I'll grab it right now because it wasn't, uh, wasn't too long. But in, in the last half, uh, what she talked about, I, I did think was good. And... Uh, people, if they don't know who Pamela Gorman is, she were, used to be a state representative, uh, I believe in the state of Arizona. And then she uh, also worked at Enjoy and she has some other uh, lobbying things that she's done as far as electronic cigarettes. She has a pretty well-known background, so I don't think there needs to be that much uh, of an introduction to her. Uh, so I, she's somebody that I do respect and I think that it was uh, a good move on Safada's part to go ahead and pull her in uh, because she she's become available. So uh, let me just uh, go through. I'm on, I'm on the Safada site. Let's see. Usually the website is updated before anything else, and it's still her name isn't there yet on uh, on the news yet. Uh, it's there's no nothing under the executive director. But if I click on the Safada press releases, and uh, it has a brief announcement of her, which I kind of just said. Okay, so uh, I'm going to play the like the last five minutes of that now, uh, and so uh, I think this is good, um, and I'll talk more about it uh, when she gets when the clip is done playing. Yeah, and you know, not only has Safada as an association uh, continued to grow in a, at all-time high numbers, and we've been able to leverage that with our advocacy and lobbying efforts. But within the vapor industry as a whole, there are growing numbers of advocacy organizations. And you mentioned with your work with Enjoy, 
about kind of reaching out uh, throughout the industry to work together. So, talking about uh, talking, telling a little bit about your plans on on working with other advocacy organizations within the industry and building bridges to, to building bridges to kind of help accomplish the goals of of the industry. Oh sure. So when I was at Enjoy and we were doing this, we were we used to jokingly say we're Switzerland. You know. <laughs> We'll work with anybody who's working towards our goals. And, and that's just smart coalition work that you have to do when you're working in the public policy arena. You know, the person who's against you today might be with you tomorrow, might be the only reason you win tomorrow. So you never burn bridges. And, and as a result, I have a lot of respect for and good relationships with a lot of the other advocacy organizations that have formed over the years. And I'm hoping to strengthen the ties that our members have with their members, for instance, so we can maybe dovetail together where one has strengths and one doesn't, and we can work together and move forward united. And I really believe, as I said earlier, strength in numbers. We've got to unite. They're, they're what are they, it was like there's no enemies in a foxhole or something like that. We've got to work together, and I believe we can. I have no reason to believe we we cannot bring this together. As I said, I've got, I've got great relationships with folks at all these other groups, and I think we are all ready to move forward. We just need somebody to raise their hand and say, okay, let's get together and make this happen. And that's one of the goals I'd like to do in my new role at Safada is to exhibit a little diplomacy with these folks and help them understand we just want to work together. And we want to be able to tap into your strengths and have you tap into ours so that as a team, we can accomplish more. And, and I think that is not necessarily something anybody has tried not to do in the past, but maybe I just have a more um, strong opinion about the necessity of that. And I'm willing to really apply myself to make that happen. And I'm hoping that if we can make that happen, we can not just see us continue to move forward, but we can have some exponential leaps in success merely by combining efforts and not duplicating each other's efforts without realizing it. So I'm really excited about the future with, you know, everybody out there doing something, just do something. And if you're out doing your own thing under your own brand, God bless you, you know? You're doing something. <laughs> I think we should celebrate every effort that's going on around the so for for those um, of the those listening who are members of Safada or thinking about members or just independent vape shops or in, you know consumers even who are listening to this podcast, what are some uh, final comments you have uh, about the industry and, and kind of about our future uh, for them? I would just encourage folks that are looking down the road and not really one hundred percent sure where that road leads that. We're not we're not out we're we're down but we're not out with this FDA regulation announcement. Um, You can't sit by and just let it happen to you. You have to happen to your life, right? And if your life is fake products, either because you're making a living doing that or because they've changed your life because you used to be a smoker, you need to really apply your energy towards making the future what you want it to be. And and you do have an opportunity. This is like a terrific 
country where you can actually affect the outcome of laws. And I would just encourage people to hold tight and continue. You know, we're, we're, you get tired of the battle, but bring others alongside. You know, the work is, is lighter if you can bring in other companies. So if, if you, for instance, are in a town and you know there's, you know, five vape shops in your town and you're the only one that's participating directly with a trade association, bring them on board, you know, have them call us up, send an email through our website. It's a sabata.org. We'd be happy to reach out to them and talk to them about the benefits of being part of a trade association. We don't just bring advocacy tools. There's, there's terrific information just on running a business in general. And you get the benefit of associating with other companies who have maybe already gone through some of the things you're going through and can help walk you through it. There's a all right, so uh, if you go over to Safada and go and look at the uh, Safada.org and go and look at the press release, you can see the press release, and you can also listen to that whole 22-minute uh, introduction uh, of Pamela Gorman. So I think this is a positive step, um, and that there's been some stuff uh, for listeners on the show where uh, I've been confused uh, about the whole interplay between VTA and Safada, and a lot of that has come from uh, listening to others uh, representing um, what what has been going on with Safada and VTA. And most of that information that I have received has come from Dimitri and listening to his podcast and listening him go on to the Vaping Legion where when he went on with the Vaping Legion, again, if you want to listen to that, type in Vaping Legion Dimitri inside of... Uh, and you can listen to the whole interview where, where Dimitri explains all this stuff. I think that that some of the information that I've gotten uh, and heard has been wrong. And um, I I do not still to this day, even though I've interviewed people and, I, and I've listened to as much as I can, I don't understand completely what the entire board shakeup was uh, with Safada, with VTA, why it got to the point where there had to be a split uh, and, and stuff. So uh, I've had at the beginning of this show, as I've said before, uh, back about in January, I was advocating strongly for there to be one group. Um, that obviously is not going to be the way it's going to go. Uh, there's going to be multiple groups. And what Pamela was just saying is uh, she's trying to put together some way where it all can work together. Um, and to that end, um, I think that's a good thing and so I've reached out over uh, to some of the people on VTA and I, I want to see if I can get uh, somebody from there to do an interview and talk a, a little bit about uh, you know talk about a little bit of the past but really briefly on that and talk about what's going forward uh, because at, at this point going forward is is obviously the most important thing so that, that those are two sort of updates um, Another thing that's going on is right now uh, in California, and I think this is the, a lot of times you'll hear people say that people should register to vote, and it's going to be important for vapors to vote, and there's been drives to get people to vote. Well, here we now have the, the most important vote that vapors can affect uh, through various mechanisms, and that's the Proposition 56 that's going on in the largest state in the Union, which is California. 
And as a quick overview of what Proposition 56 is, it's a tax that is going on top of cigarettes. And that's how it's being sold. It's being sold as a tax on cigarettes. However, embedded into that is a tax that goes along with vapor products. And they change around some of the laws and they associate a tax to vapor products. What that exact number of that tax is going to be is still undefined. What it says is that the uh, Board of Equalization in California is, and that's basically the tax board, needs to take a look at the law if the law becomes a law. Uh, if the proposition is voted in by the people, then it becomes law. And I believe uh, it'll take 90 days to go into effect, and then after that, 180 days is when the provisions will kick in. So once the law is approved on the ballot, hopefully it won't be, but if it is, then the Board of Equalization will determine what the equivalent tax to be on e-liquids is going to be. And uh, whether that's in a sealed system or in a bottle, it, they're going to come up with some sort of taxing rate uh, to make the $2.85, I think is the, on a pack of cigarettes, be equivalent uh, on vaping products. Now, there's one small detail I'm not so sure on. If, if they are simply going to make the added two dollars that so what, what the bill what the ballot measure is doing is adding two dollars on on top of the current taxed product so i don't know if and the total tax after if the if the ballot becomes true uh then it becomes two dollars and 85 cents on a pack i don't know if what they're going to be making as an equivalent tax on vapor products is the two dollars even or it's going to be the two dollars and 85 cents and so that makes a difference because that's doing math in my head real quick. What's that about four tenths of a difference? No, it's three, maybe about three tenths of a difference. Uh, it's either going to be the equivalent ratio of two dollars or two dollars and eighty-five cents, which is significant. So that that's what the ballot measure is is about. So people have often said that people need to you know register to vote across the nation and that we as vapors own social media and that we can do magic uh with our masses and letting politicians and researchers know what's going what the score is and that we can affect elections to be able to do that we need to affect an election now there's only one election that I'm aware of and that was one that was done in New Mexico in a very small district where Greg Conley went around with Pamela Gorman and was knocking on doors and was able to change the I think it was only about 800 votes they needed to swing to make this uh politician uh, get voted out of office. So that that's the first one. But here is a state level. So if we can't affect it, if vapors can't, you know, bring out the hordes and, and show that we are uh, able to affect change through the ballot box, it's going to give, um, it's going to be a rallying cry for the other states and for the other politicians to say, look, they lost it in California. We can go ahead and do it here with our voters. So what I'm saying is that everybody in the, across the, um, entire nation. Hold on one second. Sorry about that. So it, we need to be able to show that as voters that, that we can actually do something. So 
what I'm requesting, and there's some different things that are going on. So right now, uh, at this very moment, I believe, uh, is the first meeting by a group called Nix 56, which is being spearheaded by Not Blowing Smoke, as well as with other people that they've been able to gather together to uh, do meetings with California companies to sort of get the word out and get get people to vote against this proposition. Um, so that's this is going to be something that's very important. So it's it's this is a very important deal, and I think it's important. Proposition 56 is going to be a bellwether for the entire industry and for all of the politicians. If and it's going to be a tough fight. It's going to be an incredibly tough fight. However, big tobacco is kicking in the cash. And if you're in California, you've probably been listening. To, I've heard the radio ads. I've seen the television ads, and they're they are. The last time I looked. Tobacco has put in $35 million compared to the other side, which has put in about $14 million. So right now, tobacco is certainly helping out. It's certainly a tobacco issue. In this case, it's it will have a more dramatic effect on the vaping industry, and it'll have a more dramatic effect on vape shops. So I think it would be a good thing for every single vape shop uh, in California to have some sort of signage and explain to people that they have to vote against Proposition 56. They should keep it, I think they should keep it very, very simple uh, that they just need to vote against it. Uh, when they see 56, it just triggers in their brain that they vote against it and that they should be telling everybody else that if they do not, you know, to tell their friends, tell their family, tell everybody they know uh, to vote against it. Um, and so that's, that is going to be a very important topic going forward. There's a organization called CSFO, which I do not really understand uh, that group, what they are. I know that there's some new people that have come onto it. It's another California organization. I think it stands for the California Smoke Free Organization.org. Uh, and, um, uh, I think that every, if whatever they can do, um, I was watching this one guy being highly critical of them at this point, uh, because they said that they were going to be working on 56. I think that anybody that's going to do anything on proposition 56, it's a good thing. Um, and it's, it's really, we've got literally 60 days to go. It's a use it or lose it. Uh, any help to get people to vote against Proposition 56 will be important. And I think that if you're in the state of New York, if you're in the state of Florida, if you're in the state of Texas, that if you know people that are in uh, California, friends, family, loved ones, acquaintances, whatever, asking them to vote against Proposition 56 will be important. So uh, this whole Nix 56 thing, again, is having six meetings in California, so they'll be get, bringing out more information, I'm sure. But that's something that's definitely going on. Uh, and so I don't know uh, what CASA is doing on 56 at this level. Um, maybe I should go over to their website and take a look. So back to the main uh, about CASA. Looks like they've updated their website since I last looked at it. Uh, I don't see anything that jumps out on Proposition 56 from CASA, and this is really a consumer issue. Um, it's, it's certainly because consumers will be voting, so uh, I guess I'll reach out to uh, to CASA and find out what their plans are. Let me uh, calls to action by state. 
click on California. Um, the last thing that I see on the Casaw page is uh, for California's in April of 2016, and that's talking about uh, stopping SBX 2-5. So um, I, I will reach out to Casaw if you're a member of Casaw. Maybe ask him if you're a member of Casaw and you're in California. Uh, they'll probably be rolling something else out on this, but it. I think this is about as important as it gets. Um, because it's a ballot measure and it's it's the implications could be what happened in Pennsylvania Pennsylvania came with about a 10-day notice or, or something less than that and Chris Hughes uh, said that you know a, a politician that he knew betrayed his word and changed his vote and things happened you know all squirrely over in uh, in Pennsylvania there's 60 days to go that's another quick update is uh, Chris Hughes over in uh, Pennsylvania that owned a owns currently but will be shutting down his store on the 24th of this month called Fat Cat Vapors is running as a write-in ticket as a politician in Pennsylvania. If you know anybody in Pennsylvania in whatever district that is, um, getting him elected would be fantastic. And uh, I don't know what the, uh, the the size of the district is, how many total votes that he needed, what was the, the total vote count. But if it's, if it's 5,000 or some small number like that, I don't, I don't know, but it's, it seems like he's, he's pushing at this and he believes it's an achievable goal. So as a write-in ticket, if you know anybody in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, look for Chris Hughes. Um, and I actually, I guess he won't be on the ballot, so it's really going to have to be a write-in ticket. It'll be it'll be a tough haul, but that's that's another thing that's going on. Let me see what else I got. Uh, we can talk a little bit about. Uh, I've been uh, listening to Lou Ritter as he's given me some feedback on Facebook regarding legal advice on Facebook, and there's there's people that say that people should not take any business advice from anybody on Facebook as an absolute statement. And I'm going to have to disagree on that. The FDA is rolling out these regulations in a manner that is, it's, they are rolling it out with educational information that is designed to be used at the vape shop level, at the manufacturing level, by these different entities that they are regulating. So they are putting it out in a way that should be able to be understood without the need for a lawyer and because vape shops are essentially common uh, across the nation there's not there's not uh, a vape shop uh, you know the things that go on in a vape shop are pretty much the same one to the next to the next so you don't need a lawyer to reinvent the wheel for every single business and that's why some of the information when it came out from Safada in the past that was, in my opinion, incorrect, um, that things need to be, um, that the businesses need to keep on doing what they're doing. Now, I've watched some lawyers say that they believe that building a coil is manufacturing. Now, I think what's happening is that when those questions were asked to the FDA, it became confusing by the term build a coil. And that 
and that the word build is highly associated with the word manufacturing. So when the question came in, what if uh, a customer comes in with their mod, comes in with their wire, comes in with their cotton, and asks you to build? Well, that sounds like you're a job shop manufacturer. And I think that's where some of the confusion comes from. I still insist that when you a person replaces a coil on a customer-owned piece of equipment, that that cannot by definition be manufacturing. It can only be by definition a repair or a servicing of that customer-owned equipment. Now, if you sell a customer something and it needs to be set up, well, once you sell that to them and you unbox it, you take it out of its final packaging, again, that will then make it a servicing or a repair or a setup of a customer-owned piece of equipment. I, like, I believe that there's a car analogy for everything. So a good car analogy for this is that if you go into a dealer and you buy a car, as soon as you drive that car off the showroom, and they give it its temporary registration, it's then a used car. Even though it has half a mile on it, it then becomes a used car and they can never sell it again as anything but a used car. Same thing, as soon as you sell that to the customer, as soon as it becomes their product, you can no longer be a manufacturer of somebody else's property. You, and so I think that, so, as I've said in other, in several now older shows, that there's no reason, in my view, to stop building coils for customers if that is your choice to be in the business of building a coil to, re to repair and to service a customer-owned piece of equipment. Now, the caveat is that if you build if you put in a coil into a person's thing that you have had one of your employees make by hand, uh, where, where they've installed a piece of wire between two posts and that becomes their, doesn't matter how many wraps, doesn't matter the ohms, doesn't matter anything like that. It's just you've installed that into a system where it can short out and it can have operator error and that operator error has the very very low prospects but it has the prospects of causing an injury so anybody that works on a car has insurance like if if somebody puts on the the, the employee puts on the brakes wrong and they're not able to stop and they fly into the car in front of them as soon as they drive off they have insurance to cover that similarly if you're a vape shop and you want to carry that insurance that protects your business and your livelihood and your personal assets against a catastrophic failure of a device that you have replaced a part on and you're insured and yet you have that insurance and you want to continue to still build those coils you should absolutely do it if you don't have insurance I would recommend that you don't do it definitely don't do it if you don't have insurance because and, and there's different ways of getting insurance and so as a business owner you need to figure that out there's no reason to stop doing that um, for everything I just said. Now the same thing goes uh, with um, you want to charge for nicotine samples. There is a debate whether a zero nicotine uh, tasting of the e-liquid is a tobacco product 
And then there's people that think that just the mere fact that it's in a vaporizer makes it a tobacco product. There's uh, Azim uh, from Keller Heckman has said that there is a reasonable legal argument to be made that tasting of zero e-liquid nicotine is not a sorry zero zero nicotine e-liquid is not a tobacco product a a reasonable legal case can be made for that so if you want to charge any amount of money for your samples of zero nicotine by all means go ahead but if you are willing to see how everything shakes out you are perfectly able to sell uh, sorry to still provide the same sampling as you have provided it's zero nicotine and then wait for further information from the FDA and what I've been saying is that there will be a different vape shop that will get a warning notice long before they come into your shop just as a matter of strict probability and so if the FDA is going to operate in a way that I don't anticipate, but in a way that some vape shops can reasonably be concerned about. That information will be known when the first people are written up. And then what I'm saying is before you change your business model uh, and before you start affecting your customer base, before you start damaging your sales, wait for those data points. Now that, I believe, is solid legal advice. And so when Lou Ritter says uh, nobody should listen to anybody, uh, only talk to a lawyer, you know, everybody can go and pay a lawyer, but to get a lawyer to spin up on this FDA regulatory code, if you're independently wealthy, uh, yeah, sure, you can do all that stuff. You can pay, you can find yourself a regulatory compliance lawyer that is familiar enough with the CTP, uh, Center for Tobacco Products, and the FDA. And that's that's going to be a very small set of lawyers. One person uh, that I would recommend to anybody is uh, eSig Attorney on Twitter. And that's his name is Keller uh, Chowdhury from Keller Heckman. And, uh, you know, uh, to give that guy a call and see if you want to retain his services. I think that uh, at this point, uh, you know, to get further information uh, from him, um, you're going to have to you know, retain the services. I don't believe that any organization, although organizations have hired him like uh, like uh, AIMSA, I don't think that they are actually having him give this information out officially that they haven't purchased it from him. So uh, I, I think that in some ways, a lot of people have been overthinking what these regulations are going to be at the vape shop level. And at the vape shop level is the least affected for the longest period of time. Uh, things are going to go on with uh, with the e-liquid manufacturing. Things are going to be frozen uh, as far as new products. But there's ample new products that a shop can bring into the sh- uh, into the into sell. Uh, there's there's localities like Indiana, Pennsylvania, possibly uh, California, and also uh, Chicago. And I think there's something going on in Connecticut where they're trying to do a flavor ban. So there's state battles that are going on. But uh, at this point, I, I hear some other broadcasters saying that they see people jumping out of the industry right now, right after 
the deeming became effective on 8.8. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me that they would do that uh, unless they're, you know, in Pennsylvania, that's a whole nother story. But it doesn't, if if your business was solid uh, before 8.8, it's still equally as solid right now and with just a minor amount of changes. So um, I, I can talk a, a, a little bit about, uh, let's see, uh, I, I've already talked before where I think that the PMTA, the FDA is putting out more information about PMTAs. Filing PMTAs, I, I, I still think, is an important thing. Now, what I've been trying to do is, uh, again, uh, trying to get people to work together. Uh, I think I'm going to say that at this time, the way things are currently cooking, it 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 seems not so not not, not so good uh it does not seem that like people are going to be able to do that so that's why i uh although although they should uh but it's two years away uh 23 months away uh before that those filings must happen so i'm going to continue on with working on pmtas uh but i'm trying to do that with an e-liquid line now there's some people that think this e-liquid line they're going to art they're going to harpoon my e-liquid line before it uh has a a broad rollout well that's i don't know i this is where i'm saying that that i don't know what i want to do with this show going forward because this show takes time to do uh, it takes time to try and gather stuff and stuff uh, to put this together. It takes, honestly, when I started this thing, I did not think it was going to take as much time. I thought, shit, you know, bullshit. It, it's going to take two hours a week, maybe three hours a week. And it takes much longer than that, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and maybe maybe that's my own fault. But So that's that. Um, oh, uh, the other thing is that uh, I saw Kevin on VP Live. I listened to the first part of his broadcast, and he was indicating that um, that the that there was somebody on Facebook that said on a post that he had regular customers that looked like they were like 23, uh, and that he's carded them in the past, and he didn't didn't know whether he should continue to card them. And so, from a business standpoint. And, and training of your employees, you want to have a uniform, it's always the same way of handling your customers. However, if you're a very small shop, a locally owned, maybe you've got three employees, and you see this guy coming in and you know him, and you've got good control over your training of your employees, yeah, you can not card them every time if you know the guy and, and stuff. So that that is possible to do. And so when he said that, I typed in the chat that I agreed with what he was saying, and I said that uh, there, the law is against um, the law is against selling to under eighteen. It is not against not carding. And so what I did is uh, I wanted to be sure of that, so I actually ended up uh, doing some research on that. There is something called CSFR. 1140.14b1 that it is a retailer must check a photographic identification that indicates the date of birth of any person under the age of 27 who attempts to purchase tobacco. So there is that in addition to 21 CFR 1140.14a which is 
you can't sell to somebody under 18. So there are both of those things. So what I did is I looked at the CTT, the CTP database, and then I went spending an hour or so trying to dig up one where they've cited somebody for both of these things. And I was able to find like two or three of them out of the, the large database. And what it appears to me that if you are, if they are still not going to send a 24 year old in to see if you think that they look under 27 and, and write you for a violation there, it, to me, it still looks like they will not bother to do that. However, if you sell to somebody that is under 18, in this case, which I'm looking at right now, they wrote them up for item one, selling to 18, under 18, number two, for, selling, for not carding them. So this person and their warning letter got two warnings. Now, I need to do more research to find out if that the penalty schedule is for unique violations against uh, what they're checking for or because there's a count the first violation is uh, a warning and the second violation is $250 so did this case of a single action by this one shop was this two violations in one or was this two independent warnings written on the same letter so if he then sell if he forgets to card somebody does that that did you have two buckets filling up or do you have only one solid one bucket filling up with these warnings i don't know the answer to that question but i did want to correct right now is that i was under the misinterpretation that there was not a specific citable statute for the under 27 part and there is and they've used it again in summary that they've only used that from what i can see is a is a double dinging of the person that when you sold sold to the 18 you blew it there and you also blew it by not carding them so you got those two violations in one so we're still waiting for the fda to start uh to to, to start to do these checks uh and actually find somebody doing something wrong now if it was a rampant problem of vape shops selling to under 18 year olds, we would have seen them by now. But if you look at the, at the cigarette shops don't have that many violations as it turns out. I mean, they're, they're out there, but if you consider the amount of places that cigarettes are sold, which is like everywhere, uh, there's not that many violations. One other thing that I saw when I was looking at this database on the CTP site is that uh, they are, I, I, I saw 10 different ones because I was searching for vapor companies that had vapor in their name or vaping or, or something like that. They are citing online establishments for selling to 18-year-olds, for under-18s. They're already doing that and uh, they've done the, that with tobacco shops. Um, so if if people need to set up their system for not selling to anybody they need to the carding system that that people have been talking about and there's several different providers and I'm still looking to see which is a provider that I would want to recommend but there's several different providers that people need to do that and the way they're writing this up 
my guess is that the, the shops had almost nothing. I don't know if the click wall means anything, like are you 18 or not? Because in the California Stake Act, if you have an, when they do a sting operation, at least under the California protocol, that that kid that walks in, if you say, hey, are you a, are you 22 years old or are you over 21? The kid will say, yeah, I am. They will lie to you. And then the next thing is, do you sell to them? That's the only thing that they're really, do, do, are you going to end up selling to them? Also the card thing, but the, the big quotient is going to be, did you sell to them? Here, I think that if somebody goes into your website and clicks, I am over 18, that's the effectively of your customer lying to you. And I believe that that, that simple thing, I think you're going to have to have a service. Now, I need to check into that, and I, I want to see if I can find one that I would recommend. Um, and so that'll be for a different show. All right, see what else I've got. I've got like a zillion different browser windows open. Let me see if there's some other things I, that this will trigger me to remind myself to talk about. Oh, one thing I've heard is that some wholesalers and some Chinese companies are beginning to raise prices on normally stocked items like coils and, and tanks, uh, re, you know, replacement parts, that they're, they're raising the prices. So it's kind of like um, a storm has just hit. And uh, say in Florida, uh, a hurricane has moved through. And even though that the gas stations weren't really, you know, taken down and, every, it, you know, the place is not really ruined, uh, the gas stations are charging an extra dollar just for the courtesy of them to sell you the gas. Kind of looks like what's happening with some of these Chinese companies and possibly also some of these, you know, United States-based distributors. I think this should be a temporary phenomenon. I don't, there's no reason why wholesale prices to vape shops and to, uh, to vape shops and to online, there's no reason that those prices should have gone up. Absolutely no reason. So, um, if there's more stories that I hear about this, uh, certainly just like what they do with uh, gas stations and the hurricanes, we want to out these companies and, uh, and say, you know, find out who they are and why they're doing it. I don't have a company name. Uh, I don't have a distributor name. But until somebody explains why the price on wholesale would go up, um, and this is some of the stuff is coming direct from China, it's a very bad thing. And that's... That would be exploiting and potentially uh, damaging a vape shop to put it out of business. So that's a bad thing. Uh, and if other people see it, if they see price gouging going on, um, definitely uh, want to uh, join arms and stop and, and put that out. What else do I got? Uh, there's some people talking about protests. Uh, I, I support protest. Until a protest happens where it goes bad, I think that None of us know what the effect of an of a solid attempt on doing a public protest uh, in in front of a city hall or or whatever is going to be, and so at this point, I I would be happy to see it. I would happy to see something like that going on in San Francisco in relationship to Proposition Fifty Six, and and as said before, if we can find them to chain themselves around trees and support of vaping, I think that might make the news. Uh, 
and it, it, even better if uh, we can get the cops to pepper spray some young millennial vapors uh, for being douchebags or something like that that'd be even better now just like about every single listener here I don't want to be the, that person but if if we got some people that that want to do that type of protest I think it'd be fine um, and that's just a personal opinion. I am not doing anything uh, to cause that to happen if people are going to freak out. Somehow we need to be able to make the news and explain that vaping is in jeopardy in California. And right now, nobody knows that in California except for vaporism. There's no, there's no tying together of Proposition 56 to vaping even in most of the articles. Let's see what else. People can register now with the FDA, and so people can uh, start that process by going over to the FDA.gov and then going through the process of uh, registering your products with your company. Now, there's people that uh, are concerned about, you know, installing coils because they do think that is a uh, manufacturing. I disagree with them, but the alternative. Uh, for that, the solution, if you if you do believe that you're building something, is to register with the FDA by December 31st of this year. Now, because of the time frames involved, if you're a vape shop and if you're a business, that you should go ahead and do that now as far as setting up the, the way to register as a e-liquid manufacturer and, and as, a, uh, as a vape shop. So you need to uh, do the old uh, Cub Scout thing is to uh, be prepared for that. That's another thing. Uh, so I think that's, let me uh, take a look at, uh, look, at the, look at the Facebooks and see if uh, anything jumps out at me there. Uh, one thing is that uh, it's, it's actually in line with uh, what I was just saying is that health document submission requirements for tobacco products has received a revised draft guidance for the industry and uh, there's some new information on on these healthcare documents and I've, I went over the healthcare documents in a different show I went through the whole thing um, I haven't looked at the revision but the first one I thought was a very simple thing to fill out um, and it, it was not going to be problematic at all um, and it's, it's just a matter of, you know, dealing with it. Um, that, that healthcare submission, what the information I'm looking at right now is that it needs to be done. So what I'm seeing here for the tobacco health document submissions, it says the publication date of the deeming plus 90 days plus six months. So, uh, the publication date, uh, so it's six months after 8-8, so that would put it at February. And uh, what I'm seeing here is it says, yeah, if you're a small manufacturer, you get another six months. So what I was just saying is correct. It's going to be February 8th, 2017. So there's new documentation if you go to FDA.gov where you can read about those documents. So that's one other thing. All right, so let me just kind of uh, go over where I think the industry is, and I, I don't have anything written down. Um, we're we're at a very awkward stage uh, of this industry, and you've got people that put on shows that are complaining 
that the show attendancies, uh, people are, are not going to the shows as much as they used to be. I don't think that shows are any measure of an industry's health. Uh, e-liquid manufacturer sales is a good indicator of their health. And then individual vape shops sales are, are a measure of health. And, and more important on the individual is the aggregate sales in the vaping industry. Is, it, is the number still going up or is the number staying flat or is the number going down? I do still believe that sales of vaping products are going up, that there are more purchases and more dollars being spent. However, because of the rapid growth and the really, really low barriers of entry of both e-liquid manufacturers and of uh, vape shops to begin go into the business, uh, that there are more participants splitting across that money um, that is growing still. So in a city, I've heard stories of in a city of 50,000 people and then, you know, kind of a, a little bunker of 50,000 people where... Uh, you know, there's nothing else for miles, is that when there used to be, say, five vape shops servicing that area, which is 50,000, it's a small city. I mean, geographically, you might have to drive 10 minutes to get to the store, uh, to the, your favorite vape shop, that, uh, that when it used to have five, that now they have 15 or 20. So, their sales might be going down. That's just because there's an oversaturation of the market. I think that that is happening. I think that in places like Chicago, that the taxes have, have cratered uh, businesses. I think what we're seeing in, in uh, you know, in uh, Pennsylvania, you're, you're about to see a lot of vape shops go out of business. Now, some people have overbuilt their inventory and they're not able to take the floor tax. And then uh, Chris Hughes has been very frank with saying that. Uh, but other people are going to try and stay in the game. Um, so we'll, we'll see how uh, Pennsylvania shakes out. At 40%, if the, if the, since the volume of e-liquids are going up and the prices seem to be going down, that because of that phenomena based off of sub-ohm vaping, which consumes e-liquid much faster than the old days, that there is a chance to, to, to accommodate that 40% and still stay in business. And if there's some people that, that close down their vape shops, it might give enough strength for those other vape shops to stay alive. The alternative, if that's not, and, and again, that's, that's it's all speculation we don't know how uh you know this system will work itself out it's there's so many moving parts we we can't we can't know yet we know that that some people are closing down their vape shops and we know uh i think the last time i heard chris hughes talk he said that he knows of maybe 10 shops that have already closed uh, before him if, if people are oversaturating that that's going to cause a dilemma to the business the the biggest threat to vaping right now is taxes after that the next threat is what the fda is going to do and we still don't know what they're going to do we do have a lawsuit that is running and then yesterday the federal government should have responded back with the final filing before it goes to the judge on october 19th i don't think 
that that lawsuit is going to succeed. I want it to succeed and I want it to be there and I support the people that have funded it and I support Azim and I, and I support Nicopure and I'm very glad that they put that in there. And I've said before, I think it's an insurance policy to keep the FDA on, on the straight and narrow as much as can be done. However, I think that the precedence of Soterra and the availability of the federal government to create a law that people absolutely hate is going to be very hard to undo with, with a suit. And we'll find out quickly, and as I've said before, the first decision is going to be the most important one. And as I said last week, people think that every single decision can be appealed. If, uh, if Nicopure loses its motion for summary judgment, that's not appealable you just go on to trial from there. If the federal government loses its appeal for its summary judgment, it goes to trial as well. Now, if the federal government wins its motion, which is the of, of the two is the higher likelihood, then that can be appealed. But once that first judge, what, what, what's kind of in the business, uh, people should know that judges hate to overturn another judge. They don't like to do it. It's it's a clique, it's a group, it's a boys club, it's a boys and girls club, uh, and they don't like to go and tell another judge that they got it wrong because then it, it just flies back and forth. So whatever this judge does, when she makes her decision, that's really gonna be important. And the first time that it looks like that's gonna be available, for a decision it would be just just weeks before the end of the year is when it looks like that decision will come in. I'm saying I'm trying to say as much as I possibly can so people aren't confused that I think that the lawsuit is a good thing. I just in my reading of it and my knowledge of Soterra that I don't think it's a compelling case because the Tobacco Control Act had a provision in the law that was talking about new tobacco products. It anticipated products that were not currently on the market. It's in the Tobacco Control Act. And that's why they have the language if it's made or derived, because they anticipated that tobacco companies would come up with some sort of new, nasty, just as bad as cigarettes. So trying to get the FDA to not be able to use the Tobacco Control Act is going to just be a huge, huge, huge burden. And uh, we'll find out there. So there are some companies that, that are supporting that. And I believe that there is enough money in that lawsuit as it stands right now to get it to the next decision point. I don't think that lawsuit needs more money. Not at this point. It may need more money after the court does its stuff, but it's it's bankrolled enough to get to the next point. So some people think that, you know, if you just keep on putting money in the bank of this lawsuit, that that's a great thing. Well, it's good. I appreciate the lawsuit, but it's not where the fight is right now. So if you're a California company, uh, I would stress that you need to, to uh, 
contact every single vape shop that you have uh, in the state of California and give them some signage and some things to talk to their customers about to, to, to do Proposition 56. Now, it, whether you derive those yourself or if Nick's 56, which I don't know what they're rolling out, what, what signage and, and handout things they're going to have for stores, um, that, that California companies and anybody that sells into California that, that 56 needs to be protected against. And so what I'm seeing from some of the companies that are the larger companies is that they're saying that they are going to uh, move, move the line on the prices to where uh, there will be a, a race to the bottom, a, a dramatic free fall of prices. And while people might think that is good, uh, the one that I read... Uh, was from a company that was basically saying, we know that we are going to get past the FDA. And because of that, and we have the manufacturing muscle, we're going to lower our prices and our customers will only become more loyal because we'll be around after the FDA and we're going to drop our prices. Now, I had a whole show where I talked about margins and that was the one that I called Atari 2600 Lessons. If the vape shops can be taken out if their margins come under pressure. So even though the market is still cooking along, that they're selling much larger quantities at much lower prices, meaning that unless their customers are all, you know, crazy sub-ohm vapors, you know, ones that are going through, you know, tons and tons of e-liquids, real enthusiasts, that unless they're that, that they're gonna they're gonna get these products, these big 120 mil bottles for super cheap, and uh, they're not gonna come back for months. I've said in a previous episode, uh, I go through roughly 10 mils a week um, because I vape in a different style than most. Uh, I wouldn't call it mouth to lung because mouth to lung seems to have all these different things associated with it. I'm just a basically an ego style vapor and my ego system of choice is uh, a Nautilus Mini uh, on top of a Nevic VT uh, and I'm vaping now at 6.3 watts on a 1.98 uh, ohm coil which is delivering 3.53 volts to my unit I'm vaping at uh, and, and maybe you know I'm vaping 60 PG 40 VG. Um, I don't think it's uh, 50 50. I'm pretty sure I'm looking at this. It's 60 40 PG VG. So this is this is basically a jewel. I'm vaping it at, at 12 milligrams. It's a jewel that somebody that that actually enjoys vaping and is not just in it for the nicotine will do. So the industry and the e-liquid makers have kind of abandoned this segment of the market um, and there there are good products uh, out there uh, there's an Incotin uh, VV4 which is a damn good square very ego style thing there's a there's an Aspire K1 and now there's some people that are uh, talking about these AO, AO kits that are super wonderful I've looked at the AO and it's still a sub ohm vaping and I 
I don't like sub-ohm vaping, and I think a lot of people's customers in these vape shops don't like sub-ohm vaping too. I guess some of the points are that as I'm going sort of going down a rat hole right now is that uh, uh, if shops need to be wary of just dropping their prices and increasing their volumes and just dumping essentially their products because their margins will go under pressure their customers won't return as as much and um, the ones that are really into high volume enthusiast vaping they're probably already buying online anyway um, so it's going to be a hard model because if you strictly just compete on price and that you're not using value add things like building coils like giving tasting that you're going to see that your vape shop is not going to be a place that's frequent so frequented so all of this the best example of this is a hamburger joint you have to make your hamburger joint be a place where it's not just you know a McDouble for a buck. Uh, you need to have it as an experience that people want to come in. You want to have it, you know, there's all these different retailing things that you need to do to protect the industry. With the various different advocacy groups, I, I think that, yeah, we do, we do need to somehow get together. Um, but I think that the, the getting together has to be very pinpointed about which things to do. The lawsuits are up and running. The Cole Bishop bill, I, I heard some people talking about it, saying, when do you think that the uh, it's going to be brought to by the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, to a vote? I'm not a super legislative a expert by any means, but my understanding of where this thing sits, it's in a House appropriations bill that ultimately will need to be passed. It was... Uh, the Cole Bishop was passed on the House side, and it was not taken up by the Senate. There was no senator that supported the Cole Bishop bill. However, I was later informed that there will be a reconciliation committee between the House side and the Senate side that occurs. And it will occur regardless of whether there was a Senate side or not. So if you had it in the House, it will be reconciled. If you had it in the Senate version, it will be reconciled. And if you had it in both the House and the Senate, and the language read differently, it will be reconciled. So at some point, it needs to be reconciled. But my memory of how these appropriation bills go is that they're weighted to, to the very, very last minute, and then everything is shoved through in one big giant vote. So the horse trading, I believe, is going to go on all behind the scenes. The, the only question is, I think everybody believes that the horse trading is not going to take place before November 8th, the election date. It's going to happen in the lame duck session. Cole Bishop is going to be a very, very tricky thing. If Cole Bishop passes, nicotine will be regulated so TFN will be regulated for sure there's some questions on if Cole Bishop has to be renewed each year uh, which gets tricky so that's you know that's kind of a, a weak picture not nearly what I hoped uh, to put out uh, as, as some sort of uh, visibility of what's going on with the industry um, the vape shops uh, 
for the most part, in most sections of the country, good business practices will keep you afloat and keep you expanding. And if you're in a market that's oversaturated, uh, you're going to be at risk. If you have a vape shop, uh, if you want to open a vape shop right now, I would consider being a franchisee. Uh, the ones that I'm aware of, uh, are, I think, are Alt Smoke, Mad Vapes, and uh, Totally Wicked. Uh, there's some other ones out there. I think that as as a, as a proprietor of a business, that uh, when I looked at a Mad Vapes about two years ago now, I think their franchising fee was a one-time payment of about ten thousand dollars, which is cheap. Uh, and then after that, they just wanted you to be uh, using using them uh, when you purchase things. That you, that you continue to stock through them. It is it's very very cheap model. Uh, that uh, that that might help out people uh, that are worried about keeping their shops alive. And that because people are going to have to sort of huddle up uh, in this uh, in this war here. Um, I think that's it. I think that's the show. We're not dead yet. And contact me at vapingindustry at gmail.com, vapingindustry at gmail.com.
the prophets were written on the stone.